amazing grace, cutting into me and tearing out tiny bits of my insides. The priest wore a black cape over his cassock, and when he raised his arms to pray, it spread out dramatically, revealing a blood-red lining. He droned on at length, reminding us how much we had in common with the dead. We all had dreams, regrets, accomplishments, people we'd loved and disappointed. And at some point, for each of us, those earthly concerns would fall away, our lives replaced in an instant by darkness, or, if you believed, light. Sometimes death came too soon, sometimes not soon enough. And only for certain sinners did it come at a time of one's choosing. When he spoke of those who had preceded my father in death, he didn't mention Violet and Tabitha. Nor did he name them as survivors. My little sisters were neither alive nor dead, hovering somewhere in between in the hazy purgatory of the missing. I had been the sole witness to their kidnapping when I was eight years old, and I had spent my childhood wondering if the man who took them might come back for me. He was never arrested, and no bodies were ever found. Dad was buried in Keokuk at the Catholic cemetery. Despite the rift between them, Granddad hadn't gone so far as to kick him out of the Arrowwood family plot, but I didn't attend the interment. No graveside service had been included in his prepaid burial plan, and my father was lowered into the earth without any last words. Months later, a lawyer for the family trust called to inform me that Arrowwood, the namesake house my great-great-grandfather had built on the Mississippi River Bluff, the house we had left not long after my sister's abduction, was mine. It had sat empty for 17 years, maintained by the trust, purposely kept out of my father's reach to prevent him from selling it. Now I was finally going home. It hadn't been a difficult choice to make, even before I had given up on what was supposed to be my last semester of school. There hadn't been much tying me to Colorado. I was 25 years old, working as a graduate assistant in the history department and renting an illegal basement apartment, the kind with tiny windows near the ceiling that would be difficult to escape from in a fire. The college fund Nana and Granddad had left for me was close to running out. I sat alone in my room at night, staring at blank pages on my laptop, my fingers motionless on the keys, waiting for words that wouldn't come. The title of my unfinished thesis stark on the glowing screen. The Effects of Nostalgia on Historical Narratives Colorado had never felt like home. I had thought at first that the mountains could be a substitute for the river, something to anchor me, but I was wrong. With the loss of my dad, the number of people in the world who knew both parts of me, the one that existed before my sisters were taken and the one that remained after, had dwindled to a terrifying low. I worried that the old me would vanish if there was no one left to confirm her existence. 
When the lawyer said that Arrowwood was mine, my first thoughts had nothing to do with the logistics or implications of moving back to Keokuk and living in the old house alone. I didn't wonder if the man who had haunted my dreams was still there. I thought of my sisters playing in the shade of the mimosa tree in the front yard, of my childhood bedroom with the rose-colored wallpaper and ruffled curtains. And I thought of Ben, who knew the old me best of all. A sense of urgency flared inside me, electricity tingling through my limbs, and I was dumping dresser drawers onto the bed, pulling everything out of the closet before I had even hung up the phone. The people of Iowa welcome you, fields of opportunities. As I passed over the Des Moines River and saw that sign, my breath came easier. Like I